Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where are you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends across the country who today like goats a lot more than they like sheep. Welcome to Datitude, episode number 44 for a Monday, January the 10th, 2022. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picayune, the advocate and bet.nola.com. You got what I mean, right? Yeah, apparently the Saints do just fine when it comes to goats, or at least one goat in particular. But sheep? Those damn lambs did it to us again. Despite the black and gold handling their business in a convincing fashion, and a 30-20 win over the hated Dirty Birds in a game that wasn't nearly that close, the L.A. Lambs blew a 17-point lead and lost in overtime 27-24 to the San Francisco 49ers. Ooh, I'm going to get into my thoughts on the season ending in just a moment in my dime. In time speaking, sports columnist Jeff Duncan will join us in about 20 minutes to put a wrap on it all. But first, what are you thinking this morning? I'm assuming it's the same thing we're all thinking. You know, for those of us old enough to remember when we were in the same division and played each other twice a year, we have always hated that team. It's something about those ugly blue and yellow uniforms. And those horns? Those hideous horns. Yeah, the Rams are worthless. They'll be out of the playoffs very early. I'm not bitter. Not at all. Before I go any further, I do have to say, despite the sad ending yesterday, which was yesterday maybe the most exciting end to a regular season we've ever seen. Let, let, let's, let's be positive for a second. You know, I'm not just talking about the Saints and then having to stand up and watch the final moments in L.A., but the whole day and night. In the noon window, Indy inexplicably gets waxed in Jacksonville, which opens the door for Pittsburgh to get one last hurrah for Big Ben. And it goes into overtime before they can win it. Meanwhile, the Titans have to hold off the lowly Houston Texans to hang on to the number one seed in the AFC. Then, in the late AFC games, Miami does what Miami does against New England in South Florida, they beat Belichick again. The Bills are tight with the Jets until the fourth quarter. And if this was the last game together for Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, they go out as winners, killing Arizona's chances at the NFC West title. And finally, back to the Steelers, 
they dance up a storm in their locker room after the win over the Ravens. I'm not saying they shouldn't have or should have. Because as long as the Chargers and Raiders don't end in a tie, Big Ben is going to get that one last ride into the sunset in the playoffs. But how else was one of the best regular seasons in recent memory supposed to end? Night game. Vegas up by 15 midway through the fourth quarter. Justin Herbert pulls a family of rabbits out of his helmet and somehow ties the score 29 in the final play of regulation. Each team kicks a field goal, and with a tie, they both go to the playoffs, and the Steelers are out. It looked like that was going to happen. Then Chargers coach Brandon Staley, who just makes, who's made some just dumb, stupid, moronic calls this season. Who goes forward on fourth down from your own 17 in the first half? He does. And he calls a timeout on a Raiders third down with 38 seconds left when it sure looked like the Raiders were willing to just run, 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 run and say, you know what? We'll take a tie and get the hell out of here. So what do they do after the timeout? Vegas runs for a first down. Daniel Carlson hits a 49-yard field goal as the overtime clock clock strike zero. Raiders in, Steelers in, Chargers out. It would have hurt a lot. It would have hurt a lot worse to be a Chargers fan yesterday, last night, than it does today to be a Saints fan. The 2021 regular season came down to the final second of overtime in the final game. And maybe Brandon Staley, if you look at this morning, it's Black Monday. Already three coaches have been fired. We'll talk about this with Jeff Duncan in a minute. But you look at the coaches who have been fired this morning. I mean, one's not a surprise at all, Matt Nagy, with the Chicago Bears. Mike Zimmer, to me, is a surprise, not a shock, maybe, with the Minnesota Vikings. But Brian Flores with the Dolphins. I mean, obviously, they were 1-7, and and you lose seven games in a row to get to 1-7. and you're in, you're in the hot seat then, no matter who you are. But then to go on and win eight of your last nine games, including a seven-game winning streak, the first coach, a first team ever to win seven games in a row after losing seven in a row, that guy's a good coach. Somebody's, somebody out there is going to get themselves a steal because he's going to coach again. And a guy like Brandon Staley stays around? I know I digress a little bit here on the dime, but um, you talk about things that are weird. Think about the stability that we've had here in New Orleans for as many years as we've had it. And it's easy to get, I don't know, not complacent isn't the right word, but you get used to certain things and, and certain people, and Sean Payton is a mainstay here. You get used to that, that, and you take things for granted. I mean, I was on the train, and I still am. I mean, I, I wish, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if Drew Brees retires a year before he retired, Tom Brady would have been here. 
But I guess in the grand scheme of things, you don't know that 100%. But we, that being said, I took Drew Brees for granted because you look at all I could think about was his arm strength and he can't throw it 50 yards down the field and he can't do this and he can't do that. But had last year's Drew Brees been here this year, I think they would have been in the playoffs. Just things you take for granted. Which leads me back to yesterday in a long, circuitous route. And But really, you know, in the annals of painful moments in Saints history, this one doesn't even rank in the top 10. Maybe not even the top 15. Let's get real. First off, we said it the past two weeks. We'll say it again. For this coach with this team, with all the crazy things that happened to them this season, to find a way to finish with a winning record for the fifth consecutive year was, in a word, remarkable. If somehow the Rams had not allowed Jimmy G to go 88 yards in 61 seconds, it just pains me to even say that again, for the game-tying score that sent it in overtime, and look, you, you knew it was all over then, right? The Saints didn't have a prayer against the Rams' defense, that Rams' defense, next week, especially if Taysom Hill would not have been available. Yeah, of course we would have liked to have seen it happen because it would have been insane for this team to even sneak into the playoffs. But realistically, this season, this season ended exactly where it was supposed to end, in victory against a team that is so jealous of us and hates us so much that they can't even type our name into their scoreboard. This was a winning season, and not just because the final record says so. It was a winning season because throughout this ridiculous transition, we know as long as Sean Payton remains here, this team has a chance. And that being said, though, again, these Saints didn't belong in the playoffs. They were not one of the best 14 teams in the NFL. And really, despite all the good they accomplished, they have only themselves to blame. We said months ago, giving away a game against the lowly Giants would come back to bite them. A few weeks later, we were sure the comeback that fell short against these same Dirty Birds were hurt just as bad. And it turns out, had the Saints won either of those games, we'd be talking about a trip to Tampa Bay this morning. And who knows what would have happened in the third meeting against the GOAT this time. So instead, we shift our focus to the future. We know the Saints will have the 18th pick in the upcoming NFL draft. We know the schedule as the second-place team in the NFC South will be a tinge easier, at least on paper, than it has been the past four years as the, once, as the, uh, you know, the first-place team. Next year, it's home games against the usual suspects and then others against, get this, the Rams. Hopefully, we'll have something for them. The Seahawks, the Vikings, Ravens, Raiders, and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the Bengals. That ought to be fun. The road schedule is going to include, besides the division opponents, the Eagles, 49ers, Cardinals, Browns, 
in the Big Ben Less Steelers. We know that the chances are much less than 50-50 that any of the four quarterbacks who started a game this season will be under center when the 2022 campaign begins in September. And it's probably less than 5% that it's anyone other than Jameis Winston or someone we're not aware of yet. Because Jameis Winston's the only quarterback of the bunch that has a chance to be the starting quarterback next year unless something really odd and strange happens. We know Sean Payton will not go into another season with so few playmakers on offense. While the defense should be just as stout or pretty close to it. And we know, or at least we pray, that things can't go as wrong for the Saints as they did in 2021. And assuming that's the case, the sky's the limit in 2022, right? How's that for Derry Downer? One thing is for sure, it could be a whole hell of a lot worse. You could be a fan of the Giants or the Jaguars or the Jets or the Texans or, yes, the Atlanta Falcons. And that's my dime. So, yeah, it it could be a whole lot worse, right? Again, we'll be bringing on Jeff Duncan in just a moment to kind of dissect a little bit what happened there at the end of the season and we're just not used to having to count on other, other, other people, other teams. I mean, you get spoiled. The Saints are used to having control of their own destiny this time of year. But there will be changes in this offseason. Quite a few. I, I, I think uh, some big changes. But uh, you, you look at some of these other teams and um, even some teams that made the playoffs – I mean, what's the future of the Steelers? I mean, they're, they're about to go through what the Saints went through last year, really. They're going to have a new quarterback. They've got a coach in Mike Tomlin who's been there forever. I think he's outstanding. And they're going to have to make changes. You, if you're a Chargers fan, we talked about it. Brandon Staley. I know a lot of young people and younger people, I should say, are fans of the way he coaches and <clears throat> along with John Harbaugh and, and think, let's go for it on fourth down. I'm not, that is not my thing. And, and I, I make no bones about that. I don't like change all that much. And so I'm biased. But some of these decisions on when to go for it on fourth down and when to go for two and all this other crap, and that's what it is, crap. It's dumb. Because a card says you make, make it on fourth down, uh, fourth and one, 72% of the time, or whatever the hell the number is. You also have to somehow put into those numbers what happens, the consequences, if you don't make it. If the Chargers don't go for it on fourth and one from... We could talk about the end and the timeout and how they play the end of the game. They had to come back. But if the Chargers don't go for it, on fourth and one from their own 17-yard line last night, if you watched the game, and didn't make it, which led to a Raiders touchdown, 
If they don't do that, the Chargers win the game. Period. The Chargers win that football game if they don't go it forward on fourth and one from their own 17. And that coach is going to do it again next year. And if they make it into the playoffs, he's going to do it in a game that it really means something. And you're forced to watch that if you're a fan of that team. The Ravens, I, I know that they've won with John Harbaugh as, quarter, as coach, but he is a different coach than he was even a few years ago. And these coaches are more and more starting to use this analytics stuff. And I'm not going to go on a big rant before Duncan comes on because I want to get to him. And I would want to talk about the national championship game tonight at some point. But th- this stuff is out of control. Name me a really good football team that does that stupid stuff. The Bills, maybe, but it's more controlled. And I need to go look at stats, but I don't think they do it. I don't think they would go forward and forth and one from their own 17. And, you know, Sean Payton, does he, it even he bit him yesterday up 24 to 6. They go forward on fourth down. I think that was more of a frustration thing. Um, but it's spreading across the lead like a, like a disease and a plague. It might be fun for you to watch as a fan when you don't care about a team. Oh, they're going forward on fourth down. <laughs> but it's, it's beginning to bastardize the game. It's creeping its way in more and more. I have this argument weekly with Zach Ewing. He thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, it's fun to watch. I, you like punts, I guess. I don't particularly like punts, but I don't like stupidity. It's dumb. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we go along in the offseason and we pick up topics because obviously when you get into the offseason, we're still going to talk a lot about football even in March and April and May and June because that's what we're going to talk about a lot about. That's what people want to hear in New Orleans. I mean, we will talk about the Pelicans. We will talk about LSU basketball. We will talk about LSU baseball. We will talk about Tulane basketball and baseball if they're relevant. But um, we're going to talk a lot about football. And that's going to come up a lot because somebody needs to convince me that that stuff's good for the game other than it's fun to watch. Because fun to watch is not a good reason. All right, let's talk to Jeff Duncan. Let's talk about, um, I mean, when you turn the page and the season ends as abruptly as it did yesterday and for really until about the last 45 minutes of the season for the Saints, it looked good for making it to next week and getting one more game, and then it ends. So we're going to talk about yesterday a little bit, but we're also going to talk about the future of this team, um, free agency, who potentially is the next quarterback of the Saints, and a lot of other things. And we're also going to talk about the national championship game. Coming up here. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Monday morning, Jeff Duncan, sports columnist for the Times Picayune. And, um, Dunk, a lot of Saints fans are 
having a slow time, rough time getting up this morning and realizing that uh, this season is over. The Saints did their part, but uh, couldn't get any help. And, you know, it's just weird for us because we're not used to needing anybody else's help. Yeah, I told somebody today, it, it kind of reminds me of what the hard lesson we all learn, like after a hurricane, right? I mean, where we want the government to step in and kind of help us. And we've all learned here the hard way it comes down to you and your neighbors and your fellow man to kind of roll up your sleeves and put your life back together. So I think the Saints uh, were unfortunate how that played out. It was kind of heartbreaking the way it played out. But when you put yourself in position to need help, uh, it's always precarious and um, came back to haunt the Saints yesterday. Uh, the, the good news, the bright side, I guess, is I still say, and, I, and I'm fairly certain that you agree with me, I still say that finishing with a winning record for the fifth straight year with this ragtag group of guys uh, <clears throat> and what they went through and the ups and downs and ebbs and flows is still a major accomplishment. No doubt about it. I mean, you go into this offseason now with some momentum. You know, you've won four of your last five. Uh, I think it solidifies your confidence that this team can get healthy in the offseason, probably make some, there's some major decisions they've got to make. But if they can solve their quarterback situation, which I think is going to be the top priority, uh, this team could be right back in the mix again, uh, very similar to what we've seen in, in New England this year where they had a little dip after Brady left and then got right back into the thick of things this year. You think about the games that they, I mean, the four game losing streak against the, some just ridiculously tough opponents. Not only was it tough, were they tough opponents, but they went through much of that streak without the core of their team. I mean, for four weeks or five weeks in a row, and then another week with Miami, they were missing several key players throughout the run. So, I mean, if you throw out, and I'm not going to give them a pass on all the losses, but I mean, it just, if you throw out those games and you throw out that weird stretch, I mean, the Saints were winning games. They really didn't belong to be winning, I guess is the right way to say. Yeah. I think if you looked at their roster, you would think uh, if you were just being fair and unbiased, you'd say it wasn't one of the top, uh, you know, 16 rosters in the NFL by the end of the season. Yet there they were on the cusp of getting into the playoffs. I, the, one of the games that amazes me the most, J.D., was that game in Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's the number one seed in the AFC right now. And the Saints very easily could have won that game. That's one that they felt like they let slip away. Uh, got some bad breaks in that game, got a bad call. But, like, still they were toe-to-toe with them without Derrick Henry, obviously. But still, uh, I think – you see the potential of this team. They, they beat the Packers, they beat the Patriots, they beat the Bucks twice, played Tennessee on the road, as we said. You can see, and I think that's why Saints fans, while they're disappointed today, still have a real sense of optimism about the direction of the organization and the club because what they saw on the field with, you know, half the roster at times, uh, not, not on the team. Also, I think that sometimes Saints fans can take for granted what, the stabilization that this team has had at the top. And you talk about Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton and, you know, a lot of other guys that don't get mentioned. But, I mean, we wake up here on a Monday morning, the day after the regular season is over, and already three coaches have been fired in Brian Flores and Mike Zimmer and Matt Nagy. And we wake up 
every Monday morning after the regular season is over here in New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina hit. And we've got the same coach over and over again. And the Saints are keep remaining viable and beyond. Well, that stability you should never take for granted. It, it, it just doesn't happen very often. It's kind of, well, it's unprecedented with the Saints for sure. And uh, credit to the organization, to management, ownership, recognizing Sean Payton's brilliance as a coach. I think we all can attest. I mean, he's one of the best coaching jobs he's ever done this year. And uh, there's no doubt that the Saints are in better hands at the top than almost every organization out there. There's a reason they've had this incredible run of success despite a lot of adversity. Uh, and that comes from the steely leadership they've got uh, from Peyton and Loomis. I mean, but you get spoiled. I mean, in, I guess even in, as, you know, I've covered this team throughout my career here and there, but never, you know, you've covered them consistently since before Sean Payton was even here. I guess you can even get spoiled as a, as a columnist and someone that covers the team on a regular basis because you know what every Monday is going to be like. You know what every Wednesday is going to be like. You know the man himself. You know how to ask him questions. You know how to deal with him. I mean, you can get spoiled too, I guess. Well, you know, I don't take it for granted. I mean, I, I felt a little bit like some, some fans were taking Drew Brees for granted at the end. And I think we're all now seeing just how special that run was with him and just how difficult it is at the highest level to play offense the way he played it, to, to play quarterback. Uh, and the same is true for Sean Payton. I mean, I think you have to have both the quarterback and the head coach to win at an elite level at the NFL. And, and the Saints under, found that out the hard way this year. I mean, we all knew it was going to be a transition, but when you just start looking at J.D., the the durability Drew had, I think he went 13 or 14 years without an injury. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that the is. most important position in the league, he was never hurt. And now we see what, what's happened this year with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, and uh, you just start to realize just how rare that run was. We're never going to see anything like that again. And to have it with a Hall of Fame quarterback where you never had to worry about the most important position and your head coach was always there, a brilliant coach, um, just very special. Yeah, even Tom Brady missed almost an entire season. Hence, Jimmy Garoppolo is now uh, a starting quarterback in San Francisco and maybe elsewhere yep. next year. But um, speaking of quarterback, I mean, obviously that's going to be the first thing you talk about when you talk about offseason plans. Um, I don't know where the Saints go. I mean, obviously you'd like to think that they're going to go out and get a Russell Wilson or something along those lines. The word comes out yesterday that he's going to, that the, the Seahawks don't have any plans to trade him. I mean, those plans change. Of course, what are they going to say? But uh, whether it's Russell Wilson or someone else, I mean, maybe it's Jameis Winston, but to me, if it's not Jameis Winston, then next year's starting quarterback is not in this building. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that will be the top priority. I don't, I don't think, I know that's going to be the top priority in the organization is addressing that position. They understand the value of the quarterback position. It's the most important uh, position in all of professional sports. I mean, Sean Payton's used that analogy, and I've written about it a number of times. The, the quarterback is the pilot of the plane, and everyone else in the organization, fans, staff, players, coaches, they're passengers. And he either flies in the side of a mountain or he lands just safely. I mean, that's how important it is. 
So you've got to get the right person there. I think the Saints will explore every option. And it's, it's uh, you know, conflicted because of the injuries to Jameis Winston and to Taysom Hill now. Uh, you've got a lot of questions about the future at that position. And, and it's been my general experience that you hear a lot of rumblings about guys like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, and very rarely does that ever come to fruition. I mean, these other general managers and owners aren't dumb. You know what I mean? They, they understand how hard it is to get a Russell Wilson. And in the end, I think a lot of that is fueled by agents and, uh, you know, they're, they're friendly reporters that help them uh, get that message out. But very rarely do you see people or players like that become available. So I think a lot of it's wishful thinking. But if something like that does happen, J.D., they will be in the mix on that. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I just I'll be surprised if, it, if big names like that become available. Well, the only reason why I think that and agreed 100 percent. I mean, whenever you hear rumors like that this early, they, they don't happen 90 percent of the time. Um, but the reason why this one to me seems viable is because it's easy to see Seattle kind of um, go through what the Saints went through last year in a, in a different kind of way because Pete Carroll is getting up there in age. Um, <clears throat> they have not they have gone through a, a couple seasons now to me where they've gone on the downside. I mean, obviously they they've made the playoffs and until this year uh, and that sort. But to me. They've, they've gone in the wrong direction. To me, they took a, a huge step in the wrong direction this year. So I could easily see them making some changes. If Pete Carroll go, goes, maybe you want to go in a different direction. I'm not sure. Well, that, that's a little conflicting to me because uh, if you're the age Pete Carroll is, you really want to start over. Uh, you know, uh, you got the guy in house. No, I mean, he may he may be gone is what I'm saying. I guess. Well, if he's gone, then – then I think it's more likely that Russell Wilson stays because um, you would want to keep keep the quarterback too. Now, if they clean completely house and start over. Uh, and then the other thing is, I mean, John Schneider is one of the sharpest personnel guys in the league. He's very sharp. He's going to demand a massive return for Russell Wilson, massive. So the Saints willing to do that. You know, they're aggressive, but whoever goes after Russell Wilson's, it's going to cost him an arm and a leg to get him. Uh, so, you know, are the Saints prepared to do that, or can they can they go out and get a second level guy that they think they can win with because this roster is so talented? I and mean, we saw this team can win nine games with the quarterbacks that they had. Could they win, say, with Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo, who would be less expensive than Russell Wilson, and yet you could still win twelve games with that group? I, I don't know. That those are the questions I think the Saints will be asking. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> and um, I, I think both of those names you mentioned actually are are probably more likely to, uh, suited for to come here. And the answer is yes. I mean, you watch either of those quarterbacks yesterday, you talk about Garoppolo, and, and does he have a home there with Trey Lance, uh, you know, coming up the pipeline? I mean, they can't sit that kid forever. I mean, they didn't draft him in the top four picks or whatever it was to to be sitting on the bench. And then you know, Derek Carr, I mean, transitioning in Vegas, who knows? But you watch what he did last night, and, I mean, he's not – I mean, the, the hard part is when, you, when you're looking for another quarterback, you're thinking of where can we get the closest thing to Drew Brees, and there just isn't that. There, there isn't that, and that's what's hard for, for, I think, fans to realize. Yeah, and I think you have to look at a guy and say, 
okay, he looks good in this team, but what would he be like with Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael in this offense? I mean, he doesn't have to be a hero here. I mean, That's we right. saw Jameis Winston was four and two when he started this season, and uh, you know wasn't wasn't playing lights out. He was playing good, solid quarterback play. You can win a lot of games with this team with this defense, special teams, special running back. They're going to get back their star receiver. Uh, this team's built to win right away, and it's as good as their coaching staff is as well. Um, I, I think they're formidable with just. Uh, you know, a middle-of-the-road quarterback, just a, you know, top 20, top 15 guy. But, you know, Jameis Winston is kind of a bottom third of the league quarterback, and I think the Saints would like to upgrade from that. But if they bring him back, I think they feel like they could win and make make a playoff run with him, uh, assuming he comes back from this injury. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you – I hate to call anyone a, <clears throat> a fallback plan because – that that sells that sells Jameis Winston short because I gotta I gotta say, if you would have told me in September or before the right before the season started that I would be talking at the end of the year and we're talking about potential who's gonna be quarterback, if you would have told me that I'd even be contemplating being in favor of having Jameis Winston return, I would have told you you were out of your mind. But I mean, what I saw in that little short window and what I think is I, I thought the improvement from game one to to game seven as he started to get comfortable in this offense and just how he responded with the players here and um, watching him on the bench yesterday go up and down and, and slap hands. I mean, I got to say, I, I don't know if I'd be all that upset if they decide, you know what, we're not spending all this money. We're going to go into the season with Jameis Winston as our quarterback. The thing that scares me about that is if something happens to him again, they got to find a better backup. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, yeah, it was a serious injury he suffered, but, you know, he's a quarterback. He's not a running back. So, you know, he doesn't need his legs nearly as much as some other positions. Uh, he's done everything right since he's been here. Uh, yes. I just wonder internally sure. if they feel like, He's the guy who can win a championship. Uh, you know, that, there's a difference between, yeah, we can get through the year with him. we got to go through this transition year post-Drew Brees. We had to purge the roster. We could get in the playoffs with him. And thinking he's the long-term answer you're going to commit to with significant money because you think he can lead you to a title. I, I don't know if that's the feeling in the building or not. I, I'm not saying it is or isn't. I just don't know if they've arrived at that conclusion after the, the the limited body of work they've had with it, yeah, and I guess at this point, I mean, you're you're not. They knew this was a transition year, so they're okay with signing one year deals and seeing what happens and um, throwing a rock out there and see how far it skips across the water. But I guess when you're at this point, not only um, where you are as a franchise, you obviously need to find stability there. But I mean, let's face it. I mean, realistically, Sean Payton's not going to be here for a whole lot longer. And so he's, he's going to want to make a, a long ride with, with one guy, I think, he, and he wants to find out who that guy is, someone that can, for the next five to seven years, make them uh, a viable NFC South candidate. Well, we saw what happened in Tampa. I mean, overnight, they fixed their quarterback position. And overnight, they became a Super Bowl contender. That's, I That's think, right. where the Saints are right now, where Tampa was two years ago. Now, can they find that guy? That's the hard part. 
everybody in the league's trying to find those type of players at that position. It's not that easy. And but the one thing the Saints have going for them is the culture, the winning culture that they have fostered and cultivated will certainly help them attract top players. And I think that's a key uh, ingredient in their ability to lure somebody like a Russell Wilson here. If he does become available, uh, he's got a no trade clause in his contract. He can waive that, but he's only going to do that to go to some place that he feels I can win. I think that that New Orleans is one of those places. Yeah, he's already mentioned that uh, there there are a very short list of teams that he'd be willing to go to, and he listed the Saints specifically as one of those. So that would be interesting if it ever comes about. Let's talk about the rest of the team, and um, obviously we're going to have all offseason to talk about these sorts of things, but I'm most interested in and obviously we know, we know what we need. I, we, we need playmaker at the wide receiver position. We don't know what's going to happen with Mike Thomas, and obviously they need to have – shore up the offensive line. We don't know what's going to happen with Teron Armstead. We don't know at the minimum they need depth there. And then I wouldn't be surprised at all if when we get into the draft, that's where they go first. But I want to look at the defensive side of the ball because obviously this has been unquestionably the strength of this team. Is tell, I mean, for people who haven't followed free agency and where people stand with the contracts, what is what are the chances that most of this defense remains intact going into next season? Well, I think most of it will be intact, but there's some key guys that are up. And the top two are Marcus Davenport and um, Marcus Williams. You know, they got to figure those two positions out. Um, What do they do long-term with those guys? Uh, They're both going to demand major contracts. Uh, Can they afford to keep them uh, on board? Uh, there's also like a guy like Quan, Quan Alexander uh, who played extremely well in the second half of the season. I mean, he earned himself a contract, whether it's in New Orleans or somewhere else. I mean, he's certainly earned a contract, I think, beyond this season. Um, now, Marcus Davenport will be under contract next year. I don't want to mislead you. He's under contract next year. The Saints have the option, have picked up the option. But what do they do long term with him? Uh, he's going to demand probably a, 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 a elite defensive end contract. And you've already got Cam Jordan, who's still on the team, who's also being paid very well. So they've got some issues with who they're paying and how they're going to pay them going forward. Uh, but I do think the defense, the core of this defense, is going to be back. Uh, you got a guy like Malcolm Jenkins, who's getting up there in age. Does he want to continue playing? I think he'd have a spot here if he wants to. But that's certainly a decision the Saints are going to have to make at his age. Is he a guy that you bring back? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he played at the elite level. Maybe he played in Philadelphia and maybe the last year here before he left. But, um, yeah, I mean, you have to think he, he has a year left on him if he wants to play. Um, but the, the, the Saints are in a – Obviously, we, we all know the, the chronicles of them being in salary cap hell the past few years. It, it, is it finally getting better? No, it's not. I mean, it's actually about the same. I mean, because they've done a lot of, you know, manipulating of the cap to stay under the cap. So those things always have consequences. I mean, Cam Jordan's a good example. Uh, you know, he's got a big number this year. Let's think of Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins this year against the cap costs $5 million. Next year, if he stays under contract, 
goes up to 11.7. So they, they, they keep kicking that can down the road like we always talk about. And, and eventually you have to deal with that. And the Saints having to deal with it. Um, Teron Armstead, even if the Saints don't bring him back, he counts like $13 million against the cap wow. next season without even playing for the Saints. So these wow. things have consequences. Uh, yes, they're able to patch together a team each year, but we saw last year when they had to make all these cuts, that hurt this team tremendously when they had these injuries because they didn't have the depth of guys like Emmanuel Sanders and, uh, you know, obviously Trey Hendrickson, who turned into a pro bowler this uh, year. Yep. Those oh things those things hurt, and, and they do end up uh, costing you when you do have injuries. The Saints needed everything to go right this year with their roster because of their depth, and it was the exact opposite, and that's ultimately what cost them from making a playoff run. That kind of leads me into Mike Thomas. I mean, what, what do you – you're kind of stuck with him, right? I mean, no one's going to want to take that contract off your hands, I don't think, unless you were able to find uh, – another player kind of in the same boat as him from another team. And you say you want to swap problems. And I'm not trying to call Mike Thomas a problem, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, his, his contract it, it balloons up this year. Uh, I think he's, his cap, it's like 24 and a half million. He's got a $15 million uh, base salary. So uh, he gets exponentially more expensive. There's no doubt. I don't know anyone who's going to trade for him right now. And I, you know what? Everything I've heard out of uh, concerning him has been very positive. I've heard that his rehab's gone very well. He's had a great attitude. He's been involved with the team. Uh, so every indication I get is that he's going to be a part of this team going forward. I know Sean Payton still really values him and has a good relationship with him. So I'll be surprised if they move Mike Thomas, especially now where his – value is greatly diminished because he really hasn't produced in two years. Okay. So that if that's the case and, and you do want to go get a quarterback, how do you fit a quarterback in of the Russell Wilson ilk with being in salary cap hell that this team apparently is? Well, you can do it, but you have to make tough decisions. That probably means you're probably not going to bring back Teron Armstead at left tackle. And what do you do there? Do you slide Ryan Ramchek for left tackle and, and go with the young kid, Landon Young, at right tackle. Um, again, these are all the dominoes that fall when you have to make these decisions. But I don't think there's any doubt that quarterback's the top priority. And I think the Saints want to bring back Teron Armstead, but what is the number going to be for him? I mean, elite tackles in this business make $20 million a year. They're already paying Ryan Ramchek that. They're paying Andres Pete a lot of money at left guard. Uh, so how do you – pay him when he's missed so many games because of injuries. I think the stat I had the other day, he's missed at least six games for the last six seasons. So more often than not, he's missing a third of your season. And that's hard to pay him at elite money when he's not on the field that often. Uh, I know they value his leadership, everything about him as a teammate. He's, He's one of the most respected guys in the locker room. And when he's healthy, he's elite. But He's just not very healthy very often. Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast on a Monday morning. You talk about Teron Armstead. I mean, Andrews Pete, he's not one to stay healthy all year long either. No, and they're paying him a lot of money as well. So, I mean, these are some of the decisions they've got to make this offseason. And I do think that the Saints could go in another direction at tackle 
if they decide they can't afford to pay Teron Armstead, uh, I think they could live with Ryan Ramchick at left tackle. Uh, you've got Pete under contract, McCoy and Ruiz are under contract, and then you just go with the young kid. I know they're very high on Landon Young. We didn't get to see much of him. They only had one game before he got hurt, but uh, I think that they, they like him. And we've seen that this team, for the most part, can win with, you know, the, the offensive line. They can do wonders there. They've got great offensive line coaches and Brendan Nugent and Zach Streif. Uh, I think they'd have confidence they could develop Young into a starting caliber right tackle. And that might be an area where they can maybe have some cap savings and use that for a quarterback. How different was it for you this morning to, to wake up the regular seasons over and um, to not be talking about where the saints are going to go next week or how they're going to spend their bye week or whatever. I mean, it's, it's obviously something that you haven't had to do in five years. Yeah. It's always like abrupt. You really go from one play deciding, I mean, I already had my hotel reservation in Los Angeles. Uh, we booked those last week, so we have to cancel those. I mean, that's kind of common. Uh, I can still remember, J.D., uh, going, I'll never forget this, going out to Seattle for that playoff game. Remember a few years back when Seattle had a losing record? Yeah, got the I remember it well. And we were in the press. Yes, we were in the press box before the game, uh, trying to determine where we were going to go the next week because there was another playoff game that determined who the Saints would play, and it was the Chicago and someone else, maybe Philadelphia or something. Yeah. And once Chicago won, we all were in the press box booking our rooms to Chicago. Little did we know the Saints were going to lay an egg and lose to Seattle in that game. Uh, so that's exactly how life is the NFL in the playoffs because uh, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think the Saints, if they had gotten in, I think that's one of the reasons why they were so disappointed yesterday. They were playing better. I mean, they'd won four of the last five. They were getting healthier. Uh, I thought Taysom Hill, before he got hurt, looked as good as he looked all year. So you started to see some optimism that they might be a tough out in the playoffs. I don't think anybody was going to want to play the Saints. And I feel the same way about the 49ers. I felt like whoever got that seventh seed was going to be very dangerous because of the coaching ability and because the rosters were getting healthier, really kind of caused them to slip to number seven just because of injuries more than their talent. And uh, I would not want to play the San Francisco 49ers right now the way they're playing. Dallas has got their hands full because I don't think they're playing that, that well right now. I mean, I know they played well Saturday, but Philadelphia was using their JV team. So there's no way to tell how, how good the, the Cowboys are going in. And we've known, we know historically since, um, since their run in the, in the mid nineties, the Cowboys have struggled in playoffs and they just have. So I, I think that's going to be one of the upset picks of the, of this coming week. Yeah. I like San Francisco too. They've got that attitude, that thing about them. Well, I had someone in the league tell me this week that the 49ers know how to beat the Rams. They, they know you bully them, you get physical with them along both fronts, and eventually they fold. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. And you could almost see the, men, the mentality, uh, the mental toughness of the 49ers compared to the Rams. I mean, I hate to stereotype the team from Los Angeles, but you could just see it. The, the Niners knew they were going to win that game, and the, and the Rams had doubts. And it played out that way. There's a reason they've won six games in a row when these two teams have probably been fairly even talent-wise. I would argue that the Rams maybe have more talent. So uh, I think the 49ers will definitely be a difficult 
But I, and I think there's a lot of pressure on the Cowboys, like you mentioned, because of their lack of postseason success. They're going to have pressure on them to win. They're at home. They're supposed to win. And uh, that could obviously work against them if they were, to say, to fall behind early. It might start getting into their heads. Yeah, I'm having buyer's remorse now on my uh, Rams futures ticket. Although it wasn't just because of this week. I was having buyer's remorse when the last four or five weeks because their team kind of goes as good as their defense is. You talk about the quarterback being the, the captain of the ship. Matt Stafford has not played well for about five weeks now. I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs with those those guys. But I do want to touch on the playoffs a little bit with you before we let you go. Um, it, it To me, this whole regular season, I don't know if you feel the same way, but maybe it's because there were fans back in the stands. Maybe it's because football made me feel uh, as close to normal as I felt in two years. I don't know what it was, but to me, this was one of the best regular seasons of my lifetime. I mean, just I know the Saints didn't go where we wanted them to go, but as far as an overall just glued to the TV watching, we you and I were talking before we went on the air about staying up and watching the Chargers Raiders last night. We couldn't keep our eyes off. It couldn't. It was just that good of a game. But do you, do you think that do you agree this has been one of the best regular seasons since we've been around? No question. And, and think about it this way, JD. The, the league's decision, which was criticized in a lot of circles, to add that seventh playoff yeah. team, look how that played out. Both those games that mattered, the Rams, 49ers, and the Chargers, Raiders, all came down to that seventh playoff seed. And it couldn't have had two better games than those two games. Uh, the drama, it, it's, it's almost like a Hollywood script. How do you write it to where that's what the schedule, the schedule's made in April. And they, they came down to the very last game with that kind of entertainment and that kind of uh, drama, it's just spectacular. That's why the league is so popular uh, and why it's so hard to win in this league. When you, when you watch these other teams, you see how good they are, how talented they are. There really is not a lot of drop-off between the, say, top 20 teams in this league. Uh, there's some teams at the bottom, but from, from 1 to 20, it's, it's so competitive, and it, I think that's what makes the NFL unique. And I also think, think the fact that you have teams like – uh, the top two seeds right now, think about it this way, Green Bay and the NFC and Tennessee and AFC, two of the smallest markets in the NFL. Uh, it doesn't matter the size of your market. You can win because of the revenue sharing that's been put in place from Pete Rozelle days and the brilliance uh, or the genius of that, giving everybody hope, like in New Orleans right now, small market, understanding that they might be in the mix to get a Russell Wilson next year because – you can share revenue. You can compete with the Dallases and the L.A.s and the New Yorks and Chicago's. Look at those franchises and those big markets, a lot of them struggling. So I think that's the beauty of the NFL, the fact that you're one season away from maybe getting back into the Super Bowl because of the parity in the league. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, and I'm a purist at, at heart. Um, you know, I hate the designator hitter in baseball. Uh I was not in, I hate interleague. I still hate interleague. It's 25 years now. I still hate it. Um, so <clears throat> I'm not a guy who really likes change all that much in the grand scheme of things. When they instituted this seventh pick, uh, the seventh wild card, the seventh team in, in each conference, I said, okay, we'll do it one year. We got to do whatever we, and then they, they, I'm like, oh, they're, they're keeping that. But you're right. I mean, it, 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 it grew on me. And I think you're right. I think, I think yesterday wouldn't have been nearly as fun. And you look at a guy like Big Ben, who's going to get one last hurrah now. And, I mean, 
I'm not going to mention any names, but I have cohorts who were uh, Pittsburgh. Who wants to see Pittsburgh in the playoffs? They stink. I think it's great. I think that to see Big Ben get one more shot and he goes out and rides out in the sunset in the playoffs, he's going to get his brains beat in next week. But who knows? I mean, stranger things have happened. But, yeah, I mean, yesterday was outstanding, and a lot of it had to do because of that extra wild card. Well, if they didn't have it, the Saints wouldn't even have been playing for anything. That's right. You know, they'd have been out. So, uh, thank goodness there was a seventh playoff seed uh, that gave the Saints relevance. And that's ultimately – heard them last year. <laughs> right. But ultimately, the greatest, the greatest legacy that Sean Payton has brought – and I've written this a number of times – is the fact that the Saints are always relevant. I mean, even this year, with all the issues they had, they didn't play at one of those games – where there was nothing on the line. I think there's only been a handful in the entire 16-year run where the Saints haven't had something to play for. And to do it in this league, like we talked about the parity and the competition, uh, that's remarkable. And and no one should take that for granted because it just doesn't happen very often. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I've had – there have been some years when I've publicly – been a little bit harsher on Sean Payton than I probably should have been. But, um, and I know there, I mean, like everybody, you play a 16 game season, you're going to have a couple bad games. I mean, look at the Giants game, maybe the Falcons game. You could take those two games out. And to me, besides that, I think he's coached better than anyone else in the league. So when you have 16 seasons, you can throw out a couple seasons. I mean, one of the seven and nine seasons that he had, he wasn't even the coach. Um, but yeah, you do take things for granted. And uh, it's just like, I think when we all, a lot of us were, a lot, a lot of fans were clamoring for Drew Brees to hang it up because his arm, he couldn't throw it 50 yards or whatever. You realize, you know what? It's more than that. And it's just the presence of, of, of the guy out there that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I just think the thing that I, I think about Peyton going back to, that string of seven and nine seasons. I just think he's grown so much. Uh, you know, he, he deserved criticism back then. He's not perfect. I mean, he'd be the first one to tell you. One of the things I like most about him is he will admit when he makes mistakes. He's not afraid to own up to it. And he learned the hard way during those seven, nine seasons. You got to be all in. And then he made the tough decisions to turn over their personnel department. They bring in Jeff Ireland. We know that the, the success they've had in the draft since Ireland's come on board, and then he turned over his incomplete defensive staff. And now right. that's the strength of the team. Those are hard decisions to make. We're going to see that around the league here the next uh, few weeks. And he did it, and this organization's been in another direction uh, ever since then, and that's what good leadership's all about. Uh, the easy thing to do would have been to leave the, the sinking ship. Instead, he, he rolled up his sleeve and had to make all these hard decisions and I think the Saints are in a better spot now than they've been in a long time from a stability and leadership standpoint. In the NFL, it's Black Monday, and we we touched on it. Uh, Brian Flory's gone. Um, that really surprised me, by the way. Um, yeah, Mike Zimmer being gone surprised me not as much as Flory's. Matt Nagy's no surprise. Um, but, I mean, who knows? Before we get off this podcast, there may be another firing on Black Monday. I mean, who knows? But it's always a tough day. Dunk, I mean, why why does a guy like Brian Flores and Mike Zimmer get fired? Well, I think Zimmer just was one of those cases, kind of like Andy Reid in Philadelphia or Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. They're good coaches, but 
maybe the time had come. They've been there a decade, roughly, and sometimes you just need a new voice. Sean Payton's talked about that before. Uh, Brian Flores, I don't know what they're thinking. I think he's an excellent young coach. So do I. Make mistakes, but you stick with these coaches like that with potential. Maybe there was something behind closed doors we don't know about, some internal conflicts, and they were irreconcilable. But I like the direction the Dolphins are going. I think he's shown that I mean, they've proven they can beat the Patriots in that division. Few teams have been able to do that. So I, I don't think he's going to be on the street long. If I were somebody like Houston, say, I would look hard at Brian Flores. I think he could come in and he's shown he can turn around a program and get that thing going in the right direction if they move on from David Culley, which I think is up in the air right now. I'll tell you, man, I just, just watching that coach, uh, just watching him on the sideline, he's in complete control. I, that that's the kind of and the the players are all in with that guy. So yeah, I mean, unless there's something going on behind the scenes we don't know about, I don't get that one. And there'll probably be one or two more that I don't <clears throat> excuse me that I don't get. But somebody needs to hire that guy in a hurry. <clears throat> so we'll see what happens. Well, look, man. keep keep an eye on on Ryan Pace. I mean, uh, he's under you know he's going to get paid by the Bears for another year. Right. He doesn't have to go anywhere, but we know he's got connections down here. He's still highly regarded inside the Saints building. Uh, and if they could bring in Ryan Pace, say even in a consulting role, if he wants to do that, I have no doubt that that will happen because uh, Ryan is uh, still connected to New Orleans. I know Mickey Loomis still thinks a lot of him. And we don't know what's going to happen with Jeff Ireland. Someway, someday is going to try and hire Jeff Ireland to be their GM. And it could happen this year. There's a lot of openings around the league. No doubt about it. Um, Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast. Last thing, a national championship game tonight. Um, it's kind of been forgotten to some extent here in New Orleans. I mean, because A, it's not in New Orleans this year. And uh, Indianapolis, it's a really weird place for the national championship, by the way. And B, um, you know, we have had our minds full with, with NFL and Saints and all that stuff. And LSU has been kind of irrelevant this year. Alabama and Georgia. The rematch, what are you thinking? Well, I'm on record, man. I'm going with the Bulldogs, which is probably, uh, you know, not a wise move. I'm kind of – I'm doing the exact opposite of what you should do in betting, right? I'm, I'm playing with my heart, not my mind, and that's always dangerous, right? I just feel like it's Georgia's time, and that's a, that's the, a bad reason to think that. You could have said that yesterday about the Rams 49ers, right? It's the Rams' time, and – we see what happened. I know that Nick Saban has owned Kirby Smart, Alabama's owned Georgia, and that can get in your head. There's no doubt, but I just feel like Georgia's at that point where they're probably the more talented team, more experienced team, and I think they're tired of hearing about it. I just think they're going to have that intangible motivation to win this game. They've been the best team in the country all year long, and they had that really bad hiccup in the SEC championship game. And I think in some ways that could be the best thing that happened to them in this game because I think there's no doubt that Alabama's going to get Georgia's best shot. And I think uh, it reminds me a little bit of K- Kentucky and basketball. If you remember one of Rick Pitino's great teams in 96, and they dominated the whole year. They had one loss. They get in the SEC championship game, and they lose to Mississippi State, who had a great team that year. And then, the, and then they regrouped and rolled everybody on their way to the title. Uh, that kind of reminds me of what happened with Georgia. They were rolling along, they stubbed their toe, and it, it's exactly what you need to make your championship run. So we'll see now. I think it's going to be a great game no matter what. But it wouldn't surprise me, J.D., it would not surprise me if Georgia blew them out. I, I really think 
I agree. There's there's a potential there for Georgia to blow them out uh, because if you look at Alabama, the rest of their resume, it's not that strong. They've, they've not been the dominant Alabama team except for that SEC championship game when everything kind of went their way, and I don't see that repeating. I wrote about this. There was a lot of weird things that happened in that game. I mean, they sacked Stetson Bennett a lot. They intercepted him. None of those things have happened all year long. They protected Bryce Young. He made some Houdini plays in the pocket. Uh, they have not protected him that well all year. And I just think those things are going to be hard to repeat for Bama. Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So, I mean, if it makes you feel better, us that do um, at least write about betting for a living, um, some of us think the same way. So, it, to me, there's a team about once every, I don't know, three or four years. In this case, it's a little bit sooner. But LSU was the t- from the beginning of November or maybe the end of October on, they were the team of destiny, right? They, they looked like the team. It got to a point where you'd almost be surprised if they didn't win the national championship. And I think, to me, Georgia's had that look. And I, I'm surprised that they lost in the SC title game. But when you go back and look at it again, Kirby Smart is, I mean, pardon the pun, smart enough to know that he's probably going to play Alabama again. That he wasn't going to open up the playbook and show you everything that I'm going to do against you when it really counts. And so while I don't think they were trying to lose, per se, because, I mean, if you can knock them out, great. But I'm not going to show you everything. And there's going to be all kinds of interesting design uh, defenses against Bryce Young tonight that, that Alabama hadn't seen before. I think Georgia's defensive line, it comes down to that. It's very simple. They're monsters. <laughs> they, they're, they are they're monsters. They're incredible. They've got to get after Alabama up front. That was embarrassing what, how they played last time. And I think they will. I think they're going to be motivated uh, to, to make amends for that performance. And I just see them dominating that game with that front seven. And uh, I don't think Bryce Young's going to be able to, to, to duplicate what he did. I mean, he, he played incredibly, played out of his mind in that game against Georgia. The only thing that gives me a little pause for Georgia is I thought they played lights out against Michigan. That, that's as good as I've seen them play all year. Yeah. Stetson Bennett was incredible. I mean, I know Michigan, uh, you know, th- Michigan's not maybe as strong as we all thought, but there were some of these passes that I don't care who was out there. I mean, it was the perfect passes. Uh, I just feel like they played the game of their lives in that, in that semifinal, and I'm wondering if they can come back and play that way uh, tonight. It's still Michigan. I mean, the fact that you're able to, to – I mean, they beat Michigan like Michigan would have beat Northern Iowa. Right. I mean, it's like they weren't even there. I mean, they could have done whatever they want. I mean, one thing that, that that's inter- I, find, I do find interesting about this game, and you look at the first time, Vegas doesn't lose in the long run, right? They lose games where 80% of the money is on one team – maybe 20% of the time, if, if, if that even. Right. So all the money was on, was on Georgia the first time these two teams played. There's a reason why, and I, we talked about it back then, the line stayed six and a half the entire week long when everybody was betting on Georgia and I couldn't understand why I was staying there, which led me pause to say, okay, maybe we should take Alabama. It's kind of the same here. Everybody is betting on Alabama in this game. I mean, when I say everybody, I mean every drunk Joe Aunt Mabel and who likes to throw 30 bucks at something is betting on Alabama here. And Mattress Mac put another $1.5 million on them last night. 
and yet the line isn't changing. It's telling me they're begging you to bet on the Crimson Tide, and Vegas knows something that maybe we don't. Yep, and they usually, like you said, they usually do know more, and there's a reason those lines don't move. Uh, they're just trying to get right. They're trying to get a 50-50 betting, betting proposition so they can take the juice and go home. And that indicates to me that a lot of people are on the betting publics on Bama. Uh, that's why I like Georgia even more. I mean, it's going to come down to two things. Georgia's defensive line and Stetson Bennett playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got to show that he can beat a team like Alabama. Uh, and that, that to me is going to be the key. Can he make some of those key throws when it's third and eight or nine and the pressure's on? Uh, that's really the, the what makes a great quarterback. Can he do that? He's shown he's done it all year, but he hadn't done it in a game like this against an opponent like this. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, Jeff Duncan, we would we would love to have you on later in the playoffs as we get closer to the big game and kind of get your reaction because obviously as we shift towards, um, you know, we've been Saint-centric for five months because that's what people want to hear. But, I mean, I guess we're going to have – we're going to have to move on in datitude as well. It's going to be tough. So and we, we got Dale Brown coming on Wednesday. So we're starting to shift towards awesome. other, other sports and moving on. So we'll have you on maybe a conference championship week. Yeah, let's do it. Um, uh, I think whoever wins this Cowboys 49ers game might be representing the NFC in the, in the playoffs. That's how I'm going to, that's how I, my prediction. So we'll, we'll see if that plays out. AFC, who do you like real quick? AFC. Oh, uh, gosh, i got to go with the Chiefs until somebody knocks them off. I mean, quarterback's elite. I, I can't see Tennessee making a run with Ryan Tannehill. I'll be surprised. I think the AFC is going to be – and I'm not, I'm not an AFC guy at all. I just like the ALNL. I think the AFC playoffs are going to be so fun to watch because it wouldn't surprise me if – except for Pittsburgh. It wouldn't surprise me if any of those teams made a run. Yeah, I agree. I would be just using it as a betting guy. I'd just take take the underdog in every one of those games because I think you take the points. They're all going to be like 50-50 games, and I think you do well. I, I don't disagree. I have to do my handicap first, but I think you, you're on to something there. Jeff Duncan, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. All right, bud. Take care, J.D. Lots to talk about in this Monday morning, and Jeff Duncan always puts it in a – He's a really level-headed dude. I mean, I know I can be off the rail sometimes. Not today so much. But he seems to always bring it back to where it should be. Love having him on on Monday mornings. Um, And we will have Dunk on plenty over the next several months. And obviously, um, we'll talk to him again before the playoffs are over. And, you know, because once the playoffs are over, you have about a month worth of March Madness, and then really you just you start thinking about the draft. And then the draft's over, and, I mean, you're jumping into, okay, it's only a couple months till training camp. So that's where we are, and, and obviously Jeff Duncan will be a big part of this show going forward. We thank him for that. Um, national championship game tonight, as we said, Alabama and Georgia. Um, Dunk gave his prediction. I kind of alluded to mine. I feel the same way he does. I, I, I just think that George is a team of destiny. And that's not my entire handicap, so don't go betting your grocery money this week on the Bulldogs and come at me because you said they're a team of destiny. 
But, um, I mean, I've said it in different places multiple times. I think Georgia's the better team. I think that um, they didn't show everything that – they didn't show everything Alabama they have for Alabama. I think their mindset seems to be in the right place. Again, the only thing that scares me is I look over there on the other side and there's Nick Saban with his arms crossed, just kind of with that look. It's the only thing that keeps me from betting more than I should on Georgia. I mean, now, let it be fully be noted that uh, I have other things riding on Georgia anyway. I mean, this is a betting podcast. I'm the betting writer, so I don't think it surprises anyone that I have action, I guess, on this game, per se. I have a future bet on Georgia that I made in October. And uh, I win a pretty nice little chunk from another contest if Georgia wins. So I already have money invested in Georgia. I'm not going bet anymore. But if you take a look at uh, we we our staff here at bet.nola.com put out a blog this morning. You can go check it out, bet.nola.com, on our predictions for the game and uh, why we think What's going to happen is going to happen. We have predicted every bowl game thus far. We did a, we've done a really nice job. Um, sure, I'm going to toot our own horn. I mean, I'll tell you what. The, the picks that we made throughout the bowl, I think we were something like 62-50 and, and 7. 62-50 and 7 against the spread with our picks. And we started with 1,000 bowl bucks, fake dollars, and made picks for just about every game, all four of us. And we were all above the thousand except for me. I was at nine ninety two, but my picks I was above five hundred. So go check out that blog, and uh, maybe you can get deduce your own reasoning for what's going to happen tonight because they're they're all a little different. Um, but it should be a good game tonight. I, I don't. I, I would if someone's going to blow someone out, I would be surprised. Very very surprised if it's not within ten points. I would be very surprised if Georgia's not the winner. I'll put it that way. Um, very surprised. Although I do think it's going to be a fairly close game. Um, and maybe a little bit lower scoring. Certainly lower scoring than the SEC title game. Um, you might want to check that out, though. Uh, no more Monday night football. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll say that. we got a Monday night playoff game next week for the first time. That'll be interesting. So you got national championship game tonight. You got Monday night playoff game in the NFL, and then your Mondays are free again. You can do whatever you do on Mondays from the middle of January until the middle of September. So enjoy these last two Mondays because it is weird when it's over. There's no doubt about that. Anyway, that is going to do it for episode number 44. Um, And basically going to do it for... The Saints football season. We will be back on Wednesday. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Wednesday. First, I want to thank Jeff Duncan for coming on. He's always got a lot of work to do on a Monday morning. I appreciate him for taking time out. Programming note, I've said it. uh, I think I said it on Friday. I am thrilled on Wednesday. We're going to have former longtime LSU legend, Coach Dale Brown, on the show on Datitude. I am stoked. I mean, I grew up watching... uh, LSU basketball and Dale Brown and uh, man the side, the man the the court, I guess. Now the court at the PMAC is named after him. 
and uh, he's going to come on uh, and just talk about all sorts of things. He's going to talk about, um, you know, how he got here to Louisiana. If we, if, for those of you who know, don't know the story, coming from Minot, North Dakota to Louisiana, that's a long way. He's going to talk about the, uh, the great old days and a lot of the great players he had, including Shaq and how he got Shaq to come to Louisiana. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into what he thinks about Will Wade and this current LSU basketball team because he's, a, he's, he's there a lot. So uh, we'll get his take on that. I'm just really excited he agreed to do the show. Um, look, uh, as we, we talked about it, we'll be talking a lot uh, going forward. Obviously, LSU, their big win over Tennessee on Saturday night. Uh, led by as many as 20, made it a little bit closer than probably a lot of Tigers fans would have liked. We'll talk about the Pelicans going forward. They lost in Toronto last night, and now they come home to host the Timberwolves on uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, and the Clippers on Thursday. Uh, we'll be shifting our some of our focus towards that. We'll obviously be talking about the NFL playoffs going forward the next uh, month or so. Playoffs? That's right, NFL playoffs. It's going to be a fun. I, I think the playoffs are going to be as fun as this regular season, and I think there's going to be um, some interesting teams making their way to the championship game. I think you'll have one or two stalwarts. Uh, I think it's going to be tough to beat Green Bay and knock them off at least before the the conference championship game. But in the AFC, who knows, man? Take seven cards, flip them up in the air, and pick one. I mean, it's going to be tough to handicap the AFC. But we'll be talking about all that coming up in the next next few weeks. A reminder, you can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com and on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. You can listen to this podcast in a multiple tude, multiple, multiple multitude. Man, I'm fumbling words this morning. Multitude of places. Wherever you're listening right now, make sure you subscribe. We're on all major platforms, and you can find out when... The newest Datitude has been released. Also, don't forget to watch our multitude of shows on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Monday. That is coming up later this afternoon with Devin Jackson, Zach Ewing, and myself. We'll review the previous weekend of football. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays and at the book on Thursdays at least for one more week featuring cashing in with Carville. That has been fun. Make sure you come back for Wednesday for Coach Dale Brown. Stay warm. And keep your heads up, Saints fans. The future is bright for this team, and the draft is just around the corner. Peace and love, my friends. See you Wednesday.